1: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by FullScale.io.
0: And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. Today, we're going to be talking to Tristan Hazlitt from the Hinckley Medical Company, He's doing some pretty cool stuff. Actually, I guess it's a product nobody really wants to use because it's a it's a cool medical device. So I guess most of us probably are hoping <laughs> we never use this device. But yeah. it's actually pretty cool. So we're going to learn about his journey and learn more about trying to build medical devices, which sounds really complicated. Um, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Full Scale. Hiring software developers is difficult, it's a giant pain in the neck, but Full Scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage the team, please go to fullscale.io to learn more. Tristan, welcome to the show, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really cool what you guys are building here with the Startup Hustle and everything around it.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And I'm excited to learn more about what you're doing. And I, I guess since I, I was selling how how great of a product it is, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the product? I'm sure everybody's intrigued now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we operate in the medical space, but specifically in like, emergency medical services, so ambulances. And just like you said, hopefully you never have to use our product, but if you do, um, it helps you give accurate medication dosages in that setting. Um, so our first hardware solution is actually the first product that we invented is a patient scale that goes on top of ambulance journeys. So up until now, um, paramedics and EMS professionals um, have had to guess patient weights and actually give weight-based medications off these emissions. So we created the first scale, which allows them to give accurate medication dosing for specific meds that require weight-based dosing.
0: Well, and so out of curiosity, do you know like how many medicines are weight-based like that?
1: Um, the biggest thing is all pediatrics, for the most part, are weight-based. I mean, even talking like Tylenol and stuff like that for pediatric patients is all weight-based. For adults, we're a little bit more robust, um, especially in like full, like large adults, males, something like that. Um, and you know maybe around 20% of them are weight-based um but the okay. ones that are weight based are important to get it right such as the ketamines the fentanyls the things like that where giving the wrong amount can actually you know seriously hurt you
0: well and that's what i was that's what i was wondering it's like in these emergency situations right you've got a patient that just had a heart attack or or serious trauma this, those certain types of medicines you're giving in those situations might be things that are super critical for weight dosing
1: Absolutely, yeah, and like I said, the side effects for some of these things are not good, um, so getting it right is important. And our solution really helps the medics get the confidence in giving these medications too, because this is the thing is it's it's not the medics' fault or the or the you know paramedic is what I mean by medic or the EMT's fault, right? Um, they don't have any other choice. They are taught to guess people's weight, look at them, you know, guesstimate. They do might do some practicing like that, and then they have to give medications off of that. So it's really just even a confidence boost for these guys and girls in the field that. Okay, well, I feel confident in giving this person the right amount of this drug that's weight-based. And in this critical situations that you mentioned, like pain, you know, if they have to intubate the patient, they have to give them these, you know, basically shut down body drugs where they can't move. And getting those, you want to get those right, right? Because you don't want to be in that position any longer than you have to. And so the ketamines, fentanyls, you know, everyone knows about the fentanyl crisis that's going on right now. And, you know, getting it right is important.
0: So how did you come up with this idea?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. So this was about, I keep, I keep, my brother always says, I keep going back further and further, but I think it was five and a half years now. Um, my older brother um, was a paramedic in paramedic school, and he came and started complaining to me about being horrible at guessing people's weights. And at the time I was in college and my first thought was obviously, you know, quit talking to me, you're annoying. But then I'm like, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> you're guessing people's weights. Why are you guessing people's weights? Just put them on the scale. And he, then he told me, well, oh, we don't have a scale. So that got my a light bulb flashing at the entrepreneurial mindset that I always have and got down, did about a year of market research, year and a half, because I'm not familiar with the industry at all. I'm an engineer background. Um, so I did a lot of market research for about a year and found out that this wasn't just a Minnesota problem where he was going to school. It wasn't just a United States problem. It's everywhere. They've never had a scale built into a gurney or had a scale in the environment in the field where they have the ability to get the patient weights. So that started the ball rolling and you know we officially started the company in 2020. Um I worked on it as a senior design project in college and since 2020 we've made a lot of progress obviously and we're helping departments around the states give accurate medication dosages.
0: So how so how, when did you start selling the product? Like how long did it take you to build the first like viable version of this?
1: Yeah. So the first 2020 was all product development and this was a really hard solution, not necessarily because of the technological, like we didn't have to invent a new sensor or something like that. That's really, really difficult. That takes, you know, decades sometimes, but what we had to do was develop an array of sensors that work in every situation in the field and have a read accurately. Making something accurate is really, really difficult. And when you have not ideal situations, right? I mean, think about the places where ambulance gets called, you know, the, the, (laughs) <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle is what they would call if a patient gets stuck, you know, on the side of the toilet, or in the backyard after a drowning, or in the parking lot. So these these are all situations that they experience every day, and it's, it's almost never ideal. So making it work accurately in those situations is really where the innovation had to come in, and why, you know, it took us a year and a half to bring it to market. Um, as good entrepreneurs, we usually kind of started selling it before we officially had to get the field trials in there, you know, doing things like that, and really beginning. Q4 last year, so Q4 2022, Q3 2022, and at the beginning of this year, we really started selling our hardware solution um, widespread across the states. And recently, what we just came out with is the what then question, right? So you have the patient scale, what then? Well, I have to give a medication dosage. So our software uh, actually connects via our scale via Bluetooth connection, and using their protocols, um, we just run that calculation for them. It says, here's the patient weight, here's the concentration, here's the milliliters per kilogram you're supposed to give, or milligrams per kilogram you're supposed to give, and it pops it right out for the Medixtreme EMTs. so eliminating some of the main causes for medical errors in the ha- ambulance.
0: So when you when they install this scale, does it just look like a thin piece of almost sort of fabric or something they put down underneath the bed, or how, how, do, how does this actually work? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, very intuitive. So if you imagine a stretcher or gurney is what they're actually called if they have wheels um, in your head, you have the the wheels, you build up, we're on the top face. So we we have a metal attachment that goes to the top face underneath the mattress. So when our product's on, you can't really tell it's on there, which is kind of the point. And it's, it's all metal because firefighters, EMTs, paramedics are very, very good at breaking stuff. So <laughs> we had to, we had to kind of um bulletproof it and waterproof it, you know, the whole shebang. Um patients like to leak on ambulance gurneys as well, um, from oral orifices And yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And yeah, so it attaches via metal clamps and it's goes on pre existing gurneys in the market. So we're not competing with any of the big manufacturers. Um we're an attachment that can go on to them.
0: So were you able to find off the shelf sensors for all of those things?
1: Um, yes and no. We worked with the company to develop a sensor that works with our application, um, but it's just a full bridge um, strain gauge. So it's a pretty standard sensor type for something that you could use in a lot of applications, but specifically for these load cells. And we have around 18 of them in our system. So again, that's where the, that's where the technological innovation had to come from is we had to make 18 of these things, work together, read accurately, be durable, and you know be able to work in every environment that they find themselves in.
0: And at no point in the in the middle of this, you didn't think, "How in the hell am I going to figure this out? and Make it work?"
1: Oh no! Like you know, that happened at least once a month. <laughs> for, <laughs> okay. First, yeah.
0: All right. Now for we we first... now we know you're being honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say for the first year and a half, and I'm not kidding, I probably went through 40 designs, and oh, a lot wow. of these designs were from you know, brain to CAD model to "Wow, this is a horrible idea. Let's toss it out there and try again." And, you know, there's just going back to those limitations that we worked with, the, the technological advancement is how to make it work in every environment. Right. And we can't alter the gurney because these things are more expensive than your car. Like we, you know, anywhere from $50,000. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. So we can't alter the gurney because we can't void warranties. Because if you void a warranty, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to pocket or you have to pay out of your own money if anything goes wrong with that. Right. So we had Jeez. a not, not the stretcher, make it work, waterproof, durable. And yeah, so 40 designs later, we, uh, we found a lot of ways not to make a good scale in the EMS department, we to rip off Thomas Edison there. Um, but we, we came out with a product that was minimum, you know, minimally valuable, um, viable, sorry. And did a bunch of field trials, um, about a year and a half of development, then about a year of field trials to make sure it was good.
0: So figuring out how to do all this with hardware. Is, is super hard, it's super complicated, as you described, it's a lot of iterations, trying to find the sensors, all this kind of stuff. But there also had to be a lot of software involved, right? Like how hard was it to build the, the software for this?
1: Yeah, so I would say that the hardware design um, was very, very difficult, and the software is almost impossible. Um, it, was, it was really, really difficult to make this system com- communicate with each other, um, just because there's 18 load cells, right? Like how do you signal condition each load cell how do you have it communicate to a master? And then the master slave relationship across that many sensors. And that's where Colton came in. Um, he's a computer engineer, so embedded systems was kind of his thing for a long time. And it was, and like I said, that was brother. really difficult. Yep, that's my younger brother. Yep, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, so he couldn't do that, so I forced him into computer engineering.
0: And then he says <laughs> your your older brother was the uh, annoying paramedic?
1: Yes, yes, he was the paramedic, and he was in school at that time, actually, so he okay. uh yeah exactly
0: okay well that's awesome but so do you just work with your brother colton now or is your other brother work with you guys too
1: um not our older brother um he's not involved anymore he um is a paramedic at heart and you know when you're starting a company tithing is important he just had a kid um he couldn't do what colton and i did which was work three and a half years without pay um living in the parents basement so he, he kind of just made the big boy decisions like, hey, you know, this is definitely want to help me. I can help out in any way possible, but this is not something I really want to be involved in.
0: So how was how the dynamic of working with your brother? So my, my first company that I started, I was 20, let's see, I was like 22 years old. About a year into it, I hired my dad. So my And I hired my dad to to basically run support. So for any customer issues and stuff, he could take the brunt of that. And I could focus on writing code and building the product. And so my yeah. dad was our first employee. And he worked there for 17 years, way wow. after I left. I left and he still worked there. Impressive. I had a great working relationship with my dad. I had a couple other sisters that I've, I've worked with in the past and had to fire both of them. And... <laughs> But uh, I'm curious, what is the family dynamic like? What is it like working with your brother?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's a really, really important question when starting a company. Because if you you start a company, one of the first things I did was read a lot of books about it. And in a lot of these books, such as The Founder's Dilemma, you know, things like that Artist to the star, lean startup, a lot of times starting a business with a significant other or a, a brother, family, friend, or family or something like that, it complicates things. Um, and in my experience, it actually brought us closer together. So working with Colton has been an absolute joy because I went from, you know, asking him questions about something that I was trying to do myself to realizing, wow, he's not just a very good, hardworking person, but he's absolutely brilliant at what he does too. And that transition from seeing, you know, like your little brother go through college, you know, get into college, have fun, but start developing his career and then moving to what he is now, which is really, you know, an absolutely brilliant developer um, full stacks, software developer, embedded systems, a little of everything, um, has been it's been an absolute joy. And like I said, our relationship has actually grown closer. I mean, even tonight we're going to the Vikings game together so we don't hate each other outside of work hours. <laughs> so, you know, he must be doing a little something right.
0: So is this the only uh, project, like company he's worked for, like straight out of college, like this is all he's ever done?
1: Yeah, uh, me as well. We both had uh, co-ops. Um, he went to Western digital and did a nine month co-op, I believe it was co-op, meaning he took a semester off of school, um, which was okay. perfect for him because it was right during COVID. Um, and then me as well, I worked at a company called Altec Industries, um, working on Derek Diggers and did that about nine months. But this is both of our, uh, full time, you know, first big boy jobs. So
0: between the two of you, did you guys figure out all of this or did you hire some other experts or different people to help do this? Or the two of you figured it all out?
1: Um, we had a lot of help from friends. Um, one of my friends from college is an absolutely brilliant electrical engineer. So he helped us with a lot of the signal conditioning things like that. Um, but other than that, it was a lot of it was just Colton and I for our first year and a half. And then Mike, our other co-founder came on um, about a year and a half after we've been working on it. And he was an engineer as well. And he kind of helped us bring it to market. Okay. But uh, awesome. the development of the product was, yeah, mainly Colton and I.
0: So now that you guys have 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 more experience, right? You've been doing this for over three years now. Yeah. Um, do you imagine with more like industry and professional experience, it would you would have been totally different? Like how long it would have taken you to do this and figure it all out and all those things?
1: Oh, yeah. So this experience of starting Hinckley Medical has been the biggest learning opportunity in my life by far. And what it taught us is, you know, there's a lot out there that you don't know that you don't know. And those are the things that really catch up and, you know, bite you on the butt. So the amount of time that we've put into developing the product is actually pretty insignificant, even towards the amount of time that it took us to build the infrastructure to build the product and infrastructure or manufacturing of the product and the infrastructure of the company and the development of the payroll and everything, that's really the hard stuff. So it's been a learning experience of a lifetime just because you know, going into this, it's like, oh, we're, you know, we're going to develop the product and we're going to be rich. And then here it is five years later, <laughs> we, we developed the product two years ago, and we're still working on stuff that's really, really hard to do. And that's why we love it, though, right? This is truly a learning experience of a lifetime. And I think that both Holt and I, and obviously Mike as well, would say the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it's challenging, but it's very rewarding as well.
0: Well, you bring up a great, a great point because, and I didn't think about to ask that until you mentioned it, is... Now you're also a manufacturing company.
1: Yes, yes. And it is difficult. Um, especially we are uh, FDA regulated. We did not have to go through the five, ten K process for our scale. Um, but we are FDA regulated, so we have to comply to all the good manufacturing practices, um, which just meant that we basically had to sit down for a few months and, you know, read the entire FDA handbook about what it takes to be a medical device manufacturer. And then here we are, years later, still implementing the process. So it's you know, it's quite difficult.
0: That sounds like the perfect question to ask ChatGPT. And it just gives you the answer to.
1: Yes. With chat yeah. You know, it's taken us a lot of time to build this product. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That would have saved us so much time if we knew about it. I mean, I, we do use it now on things, you know, plenty of things. Um, but yeah, I don't I honestly don't understand how kids get through college learning anything anymore with ChatGPT out how, there.
0: So do you have a manufacturing facility there in Minnesota?
1: Yep. Yep. We have a manufacturing, um, FDA regular manufacturing facility in Lakeville, Minnesota here.
0: So do you, you know, import a lot of the parts from, from China and then assemble it there? Or like, how how do you, how do you build these things?
1: Yeah. So we do final assembly. We don't actually fabricate any of the components. Um, We started with 3D printing some of the plastic components, but since our volume is hitting high enough, um, we've really moved to injection molding, you know, more consistent quality. Um, moving in there, but yeah, we, we are final assembler. So we supply everything. Um, even some places, 15 minutes away from our office for the metal components. Um, obviously a lot of electrical components have to come from overseas where a lot of them are fabricated. Um, but all over the place, a bunch of different components come together and we do the final assembly. So how many, how many different parts are there? Oh boy. I really tested myself here. So You're we have, supposed to know these numbers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have 18 load cells. And each of the 18 load cells have four parts to make them actually functional. Um, so four times 18, you know, right around 74, um, right around 80 somewhere in there, and plus, so I'm guessing there has to be somewhere around 120 to 150 parts per system.
0: Okay. Well, so how so how many of these are you making now, as you as you scale this up?
1: Yeah. So that is the one good thing about being MedTech is we're never going to have to make a million of these a month, right? We're not consumer yeah. products. We're not making water bottles or bottles or something like that. So um, we maybe produce 5 to 10 a month. And if we get a big department, we'll do more, such as 50 would be a big department. Um, But it is less high volume and more just a lot of components, which is, you know, it's a double-edged sword though too because ordering the minimum order quantity, you're always paying the highest price on your products. And if we have 150 of them, it makes it hard to balance your inventory cost along with the other parts of manufacturing that go into it.
0: Well, I see it's, you know, it's hard enough to figure out how to build hardware. You know, it's, it's hard enough to figure out how to build software, but now you also have to manufacture this thing where, you know, some people like there's a local company here in Kansas City that built like a smart chessboard. They were on Shark Tank and um, Kickstarter and all this stuff. Um, But they don't manufacture it, right? They Mm -hmm. may, it's manufactured overseas somewhere and they just get, you know, a truckload of them shows up. You guys got to do the hard work. You got to actually build this thing. And. As you as you mentioned earlier, it's like building the hardware and software was hard, but like now almost this part of it is maybe even harder. It's sort really of like manufacturing and, and the all the business side of it and and all of that is its own Absolutely. set of challenges.
1: Yeah. You know, it's hard to compare the difficulty, but it's definitely taking more time and more effort to do so. And we we you know, we had the opportunity. We have opportunities to use contract manufacturers, but the stars never really aligned on it. And it's always been such a low volume thing where we couldn't get ourselves into agreement with a contract manufacturer to say, hey, we, the contract manufacturer is not gonna take on a job if they have to produce five or 10 of these a month, likely. Um, they're gonna say, hey, you need to order 20 of these from us a month. And then that never really suited what our needs were. Our product was changing um, through the development process, changing during the field trials. And being able to control the development along with the quality in house is really giving us, I think a competitive edge as we move forward because the time to an engineering change, the time to hitting the assembly line right now is as short as it could possibly be, right? Um, but working with outside manufacturers, that time is drastically increased just because there's a lot more moving parts.
0: Well, software changes are a pain and they can be expensive. I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team that works directly for you quickly and affordably. We have hundreds of employees in the Philippines that work for dozens of other Tech companies building all sorts of cool technology. Check us out at FullSkill.io to learn more. So when you when you say the product was changing, what what kind of product changes did you run into?
1: Um, even when we brought the system to market, um, just fig- figuring out those little tweaks that we needed to make in order for the system to work in each and every scenario was a lot of the changes. So it's you know when you're talking about a high accuracy sensor, it's really just one big sensor, right? There's 18 small ones, but that things like seatbelts that are in the wrong position and the armrails yeah. being up and all those things throw off the if weight. If you strap
0: somebody in tight, aren't they going to they going make them look like they weigh more?
1: Exactly. And then if you've sent something on top of them as well, which happens a lot in the EMS department. So building, building in all those little tweaks where it's like, okay, we have to fix this because this could happen and this to fix this could happen, but, um, that's a lot of the changes we make. The baseline technology behind it, although it's continuing to be improved, um, hasn't changed now for at least a year, year and a half. So when you
0: were, I'm curious, this is a topic that comes up a lot uh, with other entrepreneurs. So when you were first came up with the idea and you started building this and, and trying to productize it, did you consider filing a patent? Did you guys ever file any patents?
1: Yep, we have two patents on our hardware.
0: Very cool. So do you have, um, do you have any other competitors?
1: Um, not with the scale. So the scale itself, like I mentioned before, was actually something that we invented. Um, there had been companies or patents out there that have tried to do something similar, but none of them are brought to market. Um, as doing it, I understand why that is. You know, it's incredibly difficult. And um, yeah, so currently on the market right now, no, there's no competitors in our hardware. Um, our software has some overlapping competitors, but at the same time, we always have the key differentiator of our hardware components. So, right. um, it, it helps us pat it really our patents on our hardware help us protect our software and stop protecting software is notoriously difficult, especially in spaces that are increasing in competition.
0: So for other people that are out there that are thinking about, should they file for a patent or not? What, what advice would you give them specifically about patents? Cause it's a topic that comes up a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, they take a really, really, really long time. Um, the patent office after COVID right now is even, I'm not going to say slower, they're overwhelmed, it's not their fault, um, but slower um, than it was before. So right now, even if you file a non-provisional patent, it can take 24 months before you even get your claims reviewed. So if you're going to file patents, it's a long and expensive road and you have to be very detail oriented, find yourself a very good patent lawyer. It's not something Chat GPT can do for you. Um, unfortunately, (laughs) so you're going to want to find yourself a patent lawyer. That's familiar with the patent work, because what's going to happen is the FDA is going to come back to you and say, claim X, X, and X good claim, X, Y, Z bad. And then the patent lawyer is going to have to, on your behalf, communicate with the FDA and say, all right, what do we need to change? He's going to read between the lines, do a lot of things. So again, good patent lawyers make a very big difference.
0: So. Big question I've wanted to ask in the very beginning of the episode here is, how in the world do you sell this thing? Like, do you you sell it to ambulances? Like, how do you sell this thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so the EMS sector is, uh, it's actually a very interesting sector of our healthcare system, Um, and it's interesting in one way because not too recently, um, it's often maybe not even considered part of the healthcare system. Um, Until recently, a lot of EMS, I don't want to say recently, you know, still decades, but recently, um, a lot of EMS was viewed as kind of a Uber for sick people, you know, pick them up, bring them to the hospital right away. Um, But what they're finding is, you know, having more of a stay and play would be a keyword that they use instead of a pick up and go mentality has actually increased the, the benefit to the patient, you know, better patient outcomes because of this. So it's a really tough industry. Um, For that reason, and what we're selling to is government municipalities. So if you think about your local EMS department, local fire departments, um, for example, Burnsville Fire, really close to here, or Chicago Fire, for example, would hopefully be a huge client of ours. Um, It's selling to government municipalities, but there's also private ones um, that also operate on a private basis where it's for profit. And some of those ones, you know, such as GMR, AMR, um, they're private equity backed. So the industry itself is extremely segmented is the best way I can describe it. Okay. And that's why, um, that's why Mike, our uh, really CEO, but also helping with the revenue side of things, um, it's been a challenge to develop a sales process that works on a wide scale of different segments. Um, but he's been doing a fantastic job in that. And I, I mean, we're getting to that point right now where you know, really 2023 for us has been developing that sales process and figuring out a way that we can copy and paste this Um, into other states and which is still more difficult because every state's different. So best way to describe it is segmented and, um, but an absolute pleasure to work with a lot of these people.
0: So when you call them up and you're trying to sell this to them, do they, is it something they see value in or they just see like, Hey, we don't really need this thing. Like what is the ROI you pitch to them of like why they need to buy this?
1: Yeah. Very, very good question. So Um, When it comes to EMS departments, um, there's not a lot of money in EMS right now, and that's it's really hard to get staff. It's really hard to get a lot of things. Um, So ROI is important, and you have to really put yourself in a position to become a need-to-have instead of a nice-to-have, right? So the biggest leap for us on that was, I will honestly say that the scale itself is kind of a nice to have, you know, like you can get more accurate dosing, but they've been doing this now for 40 years, the way they have. And so they the process processes to do it. Well, um, but what we, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Well, I was going to say, I I wanted to say thousands of years, but wait a second. I'm like, okay, maybe we've only had ambulances (laughs) for a hundred years, but wait, maybe we had ambulances by horse. So I don't know.
1: Long time. (laughs) I would I'd really say in the nineteen eighties after Vietnam is when it started getting implemented in the States on a wide scale. Okay. Um yeah. Uh, where was I I'm sorry, I just lost my time. So how how
0: do you how do you get that from being a, a nice to have to something that they need ah, to have? Like they, there's a high yes. ROI to this thing.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you, you rewinding me a little bit on that. Yeah, so the scale itself, you know, is a nice to have. Um a lot of departments um may see it as a need to have because they really take their patient care to the next level. Um, but when it came to our implementation with our software, um, people are seeing the benefits of what that can do to have something like a, basically like a coach in your back's pocket where it's like, okay, I have my patient weight, but now I don't even need to really know the patient weight. I just need to know it's accurate. And then I know how much medication to give in the situation. So that leap from just having, oh, I can see my patient weight, you know, it guess me in a ballpark, whatever, to looking at their their protocol, being able to pre-preparate, pre-prep for um, the scene, and do instant medica- uh, medication calculations, um, really offloading that cognitive strain on them. That's where we're becoming more of a need to have. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the departments agree with us on that.
0: So the, these techs have potentially hundreds of medicines that they could have to dose out?
1: Uh, more, it's closer to probably 50. Um, and really, depending okay. upon the departments and the medical director, a medical director would be uh, an MD. Mm-hmm. Um, um would be a doctor, like an ER doc or someone like that. That so uh, dictates how much medications they can give and what dose.
0: But so odds are they they can't memorize all 50 of them and what the doses are. They've got to look them up every time. They got like a book that they have to look them up.
1: Yeah. Um there is some medics that love to uh memorize all the protocols and everything like that. And I think more of the new mentality is that you know it's okay not to have them all memorized, just reference them before okay. you get to the scene. Um, But it it is challenging. They have to have some sort of base level of memorization in there um, just because the scene that they get called to is oftentimes very different from the scene that it actually is. Um, So if you imagine the full scale, it's like, hey, um, I see this person on the sidewalk passed out, and then they call 911. 911 just says, hey, there's someone on the sidewalk passed out, and if they don't get any more information, that's just what the EMS departments or medics are expecting to get on scene. So there's a certain amount of memorization. But with our app and what we really bring to the table is we're we're limiting that amount of memorization they need and kind of bridging that gap between experienced medics and not experienced medics, right? Where it's like, by using what we're doing. Oh good.
0: Like I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, at the end of the day, are you selling like a risk mitigation solution to them, right? Like does it mm-hmm. prevent instances of them like misdosing things or making mistakes or whatever? And ultimately is that the what you're trying to play to
1: that is one of the angles yeah absolutely um and recently there's been more um heightened awareness of this in the industry because of a big law a couple of big lawsuits in like utah and um bingo Colorado. yeah so there's definitely heightened awareness on the reduction of liability and using our system and that is, that's is that part of your sales sales
0: process you point to absolutely. those lawsuits and say okay
1: yeah well, absolutely and-
0: and, and that's why I was digging for that. It's like trying to figure out, like, how do you sell this thing, right? And mm-hmm. um, and a lot of products, and this is probably the wrong way to think about it, but it, for your product, but a lot of products are sold based on fear, right? Or, or a negative outcome. You know, yeah. just like you sell, like, cybersecurity, like, somebody's going to hack into your system. You're going to get hit with ransomware. You have to buy my thing, right? Like, but that motivates people, right? And so from this perspective, it's like, you're going to get sued. You need this product. Right, like people are motivated by the fear of the
1: of the lawsuits and the, the negative
0: outcomes. So,
1: oh, absolutely, and it is a fear too, because um, for the medics themselves, there's also more criminal charges being pushed against them um, in situations where they're giving, you know, medications that they may have been giving for years before that, but this one happened to be a bad side effect. So, there's definitely, the fear definitely plays into it, and we hate to ride the coattail of the fear, but you know. That is part of the ROI of our system. And that's why our system is valuable to these departments is because we are coming in and solving a true problem.
0: It's It sounds crazy to think, but like fear sells. It, it just, it does, you know?
1: It really does. I mean, think about the your iPhones and everything like that. One of the big selling points for me, iPhone versus Android, is that I know Apple has a very careful security policy with a lot I... of the things that they do.
0: Uh, so at full scale, I was talking to our chief operating officer or one of our salespeople today, and he said three people in the last week have, have talked to us about how do we ensure our employees are not like weird rogue employees working for North Korea, because mm-hmm. that came up like that would like came up in the news over the last two weeks. It was the same thing. It's like fear, like everybody's in fear, yep. like, okay, if I hire the software developer, How do I know that they're not actually, you know, a state actor from North Korea or whatever. And, but again, it highly motivates people. It just goes to show like how motivated people are by this stuff. So.
1: Absolutely. um, Yeah, it works. And if you watch commercials, you see a lot of that on there as well. You know, pharmaceutical commercials, you know, car commercials, trashing and all those things.
0: Yeah. So tell us more about the software. So it's the software. It's a mobile app. Do you have to build? Do you provide them like a rugged device, or do like the the text just download this on their own personal device? Or like how does that part of it work?
1: Uh, a little of both. So most EMS departments or ambulances um, have at least a tablet or a sort inside their ambulance. Okay. Um, so even Apple tablets, a lot of them use ToughBooks, like the Windows ToughBooks, Android tablets. Um, so yeah, we're we're a downloadable app you can get on the App Store, um, iOS, Android, Windows. And both the medics can have it on their personal device as well if they wish, but also it's almost always on that tablet inside the ambulance. Okay.
0: Well, I think this has been a very cool story today, and um, I, I love the fact that you guys built this like straight out of college, like you you almost didn't know better and didn't know what you were getting yourselves <laughs> into, but you're like, we're gonna will this thing into existence where, as you said, some other people tried to do this and never got it to market and do you think that's because they they saw how expensive it was to build it and do all of that and and the development cost? Where you and your brother were able to, like you said, like live at your parents' house or whatever and just figure this crap out? Mm-hmm. Like, what, did that end up you think being your big strategic you know uh, advantage to getting this thing you know to market?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, I think you said well, ignorance was bliss for us. I mean, right out of college, we didn't really expect what this was going to take. Um, and it was it took even longer a lot harder living in the parent space but um and the companies that have failed doing it um there's a number of reasons i think the hardest is probably just because it's really hard to sell into this industry and yeah it's a very segmented industry it's not like you can post advertisements on google or facebook and get customers you know via that direction a lot of it's what we're doing is cold calling word of mouth developing a good product a good solution and, you know, kind of playing the long game on it. And that's kind of what you have to do with medical devices. Cause there's the billing cycle that we operate under isn't a subscription basis, like, you know, Netflix or something where it bills monthly it, from the first conversation to closing a sale, it can be from four to eight months for a small department, anywhere from 12 to 24 for a large department. So wow. it, it's the challenge is dealing with the industry. And there's, I mean, it's obvious to us why companies would fail, um, trying to bring a product to market in this industry I
0: I, lo- I love this this part of it like the competitors failed because they did they couldn't figure out how to sell it and that's mm-hmm. something I talked I talk a lot about on on LinkedIn if for those of you who don't follow me look me up Matt Watson on LinkedIn follow me um, sales is everything it, you you can build the best thing in the world and to your point of what you guys are even like we well, you building something that literally could save lives? But if you don't know how to sell it, it doesn't matter, right? And and mm-hmm. and that is such a critical piece to to every business. And how hard is it dealing though with it? You know, you have a, a sales pipeline that's twelve to twenty four months out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's why we call our salespeople sales engineers because there's a lot of stuff that goes behind um, classifying <laughs> potential leads, developing those leads over time, when to get touches in there. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are a for-profit company. We're a startup. I mean, revenue is the right. biggest marker of success. So if we're not making sales, then we're not successful. So again, I 100% kudos to you because you're 100% right. It is sales drives companies. You know, it's product. everything. Sales uh, sales can even come before the product's developed. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. companies that are notorious for having a bunch of sales and the product finally comes out and released and it's not as good as everyone expected. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's definitely important and it's... I would say our Mike, our uh, CEO, has been absolutely nailing it with that. I mean, he talks to industry leaders across the board in the space, out of the space, and has done a really good job at developing a sales process that's
0: useful. Now did, did you guys have to raise money to do this?
1: Yeah. So actually, uh, we closed this round um, raising upwards of a million, um, including okay. loans and some of the programs to the state of Minnesota here. And, you know, up until this point, we've been so lean that we haven't had to really raise money before. Um, we brought this product to market with under $80,000 raised and although the product itself has changed since then, um, the baseline technology behind it is is still there.
0: Well, I'll be honest with you, $80,000 is, is enough money to get most software products to market as well. I mean... If you're using offshore teams like full scale, like what we do, I mean, you can build a team of two or three developers for six months to to go build something. And a lot of times that's all it takes to build like an MVP version. Um, or you can find some local, you know, expensive consultants that are going to ca- charge you $80,000 a month,
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. as, as, yeah.
0: as you've probably seen, right? So oh, the cost yeah. can be all over the board, but, you know, $80,000 is enough for a lot of businesses to build a an MVP sort of version now granted you're not paying yourself you're not drawing a salary and mm-hmm. you know but you're 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 hiring the other people you need to help to get it done and the other expenses and kudos to you guys for figuring it out and so with that million was a lot of that to, to help scale the the sales and manufacturing
1: yeah so a lot of that's still honestly in the bank um waiting to be dispersed um we are Developing a sales process where we're really careful about where we put money into because with the long billing cycle that we have, cash is king. Um, oh, yeah. We can't, we can't be put into a position where we're facilitating, you know, one of the largest departments in the States and we have no cash to buy the supplies to build the product, right? Yeah. So we're very careful about where we put the money in, um, but moving it into sales and moving it into the manufacturing and hiring an internal developer team as well um, seems to be the low-hanging fruit is that, on that
0: yeah working capital for you has got to be a really complicated equation because you got to have working capital to go buy all the parts to manufacture mm-hmm. it but then you have the working capital for the long sales cycle and i guarantee these people don't pay fast either so all all of those things combined have got to make it a challenge i guarantee
1: it is a challenge we have a very very good cfo that helps us with that so yeah if it was up if it was only up to me i'm sure it would be an absolute disaster
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for for being on the show. Again, this was uh, Tristan Hazlitt from Hinckley Medical. That's H-I-N-C-K-L-E-Y-M-E-D.com. The link will be in the show notes. Um, I'm going to guess a lot of the listeners today probably don't need your product, but I'm sure they really, really enjoyed the story. And building medical devices is an extremely hard endeavor And then building the software that goes with it plus the manufacturing to go with it like you got three hard problems so big congrats to you for for making it work and figuring it all man figuring it all out i love the story
1: thanks and honestly i have the best founding team out there they're absolutely amazing colton and mike are fantastic um everyone that's involved with the company has is really bought in from the moment that they sign up um even you know even mike and Colton and I, we worked a long time without getting salaries. So it's just kind of what it takes. And yeah, um, but it is is—it's extremely rewarding to know that you see an ambulance here in Minnesota, like Hennepin or something like that. It's like, wow, uh, you know, are the software and devices in there helping them save lives? So it's, it's really cool.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, love the story. And thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Really love what you're building here and look forward to following it into the future. All right. Thank you.